Father, this morning we just come to you. We look to you, Lord, the author and the finisher of our faith, the perfecter of our faith. We come to the ministry of your word because it's through the word we meet Jesus. We understand the ways of God. And above all, it is through the hearing of the word that faith arises. And it is faith that you're looking for. People who believe God, people who trust God, and people who listen to the voice of God and obey him. For it is impossible to please God without faith. And faith can come only by the hearing of the word of God, or Master. So I pray, Father, today we would encounter your son, we would know more of your ways, and faith would arise in us. And with faith, all things are possible. And I also speak healing into the body of Christ, Lord. Even now, Father, touch touch everyone, Lord, who is not well. Oh, Father, I take authority and I bind the spirit of infirmity. I command it to leave the body of Christ. And I speak healing. I speak wholeness into the body of Christ, O oh Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Teach us, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Today we turn to Judges chapter 6. We looked at 4 and 5 was about one man and two ladies, Barak, Deborah, and Jael. Today we are going to look at Gideon's. We'll go by verse by verse. <coughs> then, or it should be, can say again, okay, the cycle. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. If you know the previous words, how chapter 5 had ended was, the land had peace for 40 years. One generation had peace. Okay? They believed God. They obeyed God. They put away their foreign gods. They fought the fight. They won the battle. And the generation had peace. But you see what happens, the same cycle, that they forget to pass the knowledge and the ways of God to the next generation. Okay, that's basically what happens. And then what happens is, they did evil in the sight of God. Remember, we know we looked at it earlier also, because one of the common refrains in the book of King, sorry, <coughs> Judges, and even in Ruth, is that each man did what was right in the sight of God. When does that happen? It happens when we do not know the ways of God, the knowledge of God. When we do not know the ways of God, we may do what is right in our sight, which may be evil in God's sight. Okay, And the problem is when we do that, and if you're God's people, not a Gentiles, if you're God's people, the disciplining hand of God starts coming upon our life because we do not get away with it. They did evil in the sight of God. And the Bible says, so the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. Okay, seven years. <clears throat> this is our, our major issue, whether it is a nation of Israel or Christian nations or a church or a family. When things are going well, <coughs> we relax. Things are, it's a blessing of God, okay? But the problem is, in this life, we are at war. And when things go well, Salary check comes on time. The bills are paid. We got plenty. Okay. What happens is we start 
taking the things of God for granted. Okay, things of God. Worship, worship. Like I said, like I was joke, I was thinking, oh, that the two lizards brought more excitement in worship than the worship leader. Okay. Okay. There was sudden electricity in the room, but two lizards started going on in the, on the wall. What I'm saying is things are good. Things are good. And when things are good, we don't go closer to God. Actually, complacency sets in. This is our issue. Complacency sets in. Even obedience becomes optional. Because we look at the blessings, the good times, as proof that God is with us. And God is for us. And God's hand is upon us. Without realizing that everything that we receive from God is a gift. So each man does what is right in his sight, but it becomes evil in God's sight. Okay? And ultimately the issue is that God has to, has to deal. Okay? God has to deal. Please understand this. God is dealing with his people now here. In this case, Israel, and for a season he's left Israel alone. He's still leaving Israel alone. He protects them from being destroyed from it by their enemies, but he doesn't deal with Israel much. So right now is the time of the Gentiles. He's dealing with the church. So when we study the old covenant, we see how God dealt with Israel before he took his hand over them. And we will see how he deals with the church. That's why we are studying the ways of God are there imprinted in the pages of the Bible. And his ways never change. So God is disciplining Israel, but he lets the other nations go their way. We saw that in Acts chapter 14 and verse 16. Who in bygone generation allowed all nations to walk in their own ways, except Israel. Except Israel. He allows all generations to go their way. He doesn't discipline them. He just lets them go their way. You're all illegitimate. You do what you want to do. I have one son, Israel. Israel is my firstborn. I will deal with Israel. In the same way, he leaves Gentiles alone. But he deals with his own children. And we have to see the difference. He deals with his children. He will not let go of his children. Okay, He deals with his children. What Israel forgot was they were surrounded by enemies. <coughs> surrounded by their enemies. And their enemies are waiting always for an opportunity. And they have taken that land. Sammy, if you could put that one, it would be nice. <coughs> they have taken that land because God gave it to them. God gave it to them. It is not because they were more powerful than their enemies. These fundamental things which we need to understand. The only reason Israel possessed the promised land was because it was promised to them. God went with them and God fought their battles and gave it to them. But to keep it, God gave them conditions. These are the things which you need to do, and the land will be always yours, and you will have peace, and my hand will be upon you. In the same way, when it comes to us, in this world, we are powerless. We are weak. We are weak. Christian, the church, we are not talking about nations, we are talking about the church. The church is weak in this world. Because we cannot use worldly methods, okay, because if you take, if you look at the first, you look at any in any way, okay, you take it, you look at the parameters of what we consider strength. It's all Gentiles. 
Christian terms. You may talk about the U.S. Army, but all the leadership are pagans. They are hostile to God. Hostile to God, the leadership. So it doesn't matter the people who serve in the army, maybe a lot of, a lot of them may be believers. But the problem, the headship over them are, are hostile to Christ. Money is all in there. Influence, Hollywood, power, everything is on the other side. So without God, we need to understand we are actually powerless to influence our society. We cannot bring forth change. So what Israel is, is the church too. Only God can keep us. And we have an enemy. And Peter is very clear about it in First Peter chapter 5, 8 and 9. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8 and 9. Be sober, be vigilant. Though we are God's children, God's people, be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, we have an adversary, walks about like a roaring lion. He's not going around like a mouse. Is going around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him. Resist him. How do we resist him? Being steadfast in, in faith. Okay? We have to be steadfast in faith. That is why we come. You cannot be like the ECG. You have to be steadfast in faith. No? We cannot suddenly rise of faith only when there is trouble. There has to be this constant faith in which we walk. And that's what the Bible is talking about. And he never sleeps. He never tires because he's a spiritual being with millions of demons on his side. And he's got power. If he doesn't have power, Jesus would not teach us to deliver us from the power of the evil one. So he's got power. Okay? So what happens is, like Israel has his enemies always waiting for an opportunity. We too as a church, as church, God's church has enemies all around us. Not flesh and blood. They use flesh and blood, but demonic entities. And they go into oppression. So now Israel is in oppression again. Okay. So it says God handed them over. <clears throat> the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. So whenever we are in trouble, let's put the first three verses together if we can. Because it tell you what the enemies did. Okay. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. Now they are hiding in dens, they are hiding in caves and the strongholds which are in the mountain. Normal life is gone. They have all migrated up to the mountains, away from this thing. Okay, So what has happened? We need to look. There are four primary reasons for oppression. The first reason, for God's people, okay? First reason is always sin or rebellion against God's word, his voice. Solution, repent and change your ways. One of the first reasons, let us put it rightly. First reason is people run into trouble, people run into suffering because of sin. Solution is only one. Repent and go back to the ways of God. Second reason, you run into trouble because of righteousness. Sounds strange, but God's people, yes. In Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, and John 15 and verse 20, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. All. Everybody. Okay. So there is persecution. The result of it, of course, is oppression and suffering, which is the result of righteousness. Okay. Solution. John fifteen twenty. also, we will look at what Jesus said. Remember the, the word I said to you. 
A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Okay, it's very clear. If they persecuted the king, they will persecute his subjects too. If you persecute our Lord, he will persecute his servants too. So be very sure about it. You can go through suffering, which has got nothing to do with sin. On the other hand, it is because of the opposite, because of righteousness. Solution, Matthew 5, 10 to 12. <coughs> Solution is this. First, we need to realize, when we are persecuted for righteousness sake, we suffer for righteousness sake, first, we are blessed. Attitude matters. We are not cursed, we are blessed. That's why the apostles were rejoicing that they were considered worthy to suffer for Christ Jesus' sake. So the first thing, attitude matters. No, poor, it's not poor me, blessed me. I am blessed. You know, that God counted me worthy to suffer for his name's sake. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. God says, one day you will get your inheritance. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of righteousness will be yours. Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. He says, you are blessed. When they slander you, they come after you. And this is attitude, blessed. Response, rejoice and be exceedingly glad. And James will also say the same thing, you know. Consider it pure joy, pure joy when you go through this, okay. So there is an attitude and there is a response because we have to have a diagnosis. Why am I going through what I am going through? What is the reason? Is it because of sin? The solution is this. Is it because of righteousness? Then I am blessed. I need to rejoice. And we see Paul and Silas rejoicing because they are rejoicing. So they think they are blessed. They are rejoicing. And God is glorified in that place. Third reason, Hosea 4.6 and Isaiah 5.13. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. <coughs> okay? Okay. Why do we run into trouble? Okay, We run into trouble because we did not know. But ignorance of the law is no excuse. It tells the children sitting over here, there are two, three small little ones sitting over there. If you ask them, do you understand the laws of gravity? They don't. <laughs> but it still works. You slip, you fall. Because gravity will pull you down. Pull you down. Okay, so ignorance is no excuse. Okay, you can use it as an excuse, but the consequences follow. <laughs> I did not know, but I am in trouble now. <laughs> I did not know does not stop trouble. Isaiah 5.13 says this, and then to Acts 17. Therefore, my people have gone into captivity because they have no knowledge. <coughs> Why do they go into oppression? Because they have no knowledge. So what is the solution? Two things. One, God, and the second thing. Acts chapter 17, 30 and 31. <coughs> Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked. But now commands all men everywhere to repent. Repent meaning turn from that. What you did in ignorance, turn from that and move to knowledge and do what is right. Because why? He has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. Okay, so the solution is one thing. You know, God is not punishing you. He will excuse your ignorance. Once you have the, once you receive the knowledge, God will say, okay, your ignorance I overlooked. You did not know. But now, go back and acquire knowledge. So if your suffering is because of ignorance, the solution is knowledge. And knowledge, and you come out of it. Then there is this fourth one. 
Job chapter 5 and verse 7. Job 5 and Yet man is born to trouble as sparks fly upwards. Okay? You put, if you light a fire, sparks only go up. They don't go sideways. Okay? So meaning what? When Adam fell, all fell. <coughs> so there are a lot of things which has got nothing to do with sin or righteousness or ignorance. It is normal. Okay? Okay? Okay, it's normal. You have a, a church of 100 people, two people get COVID, everybody gets. Amen. It is not sin, it's not ignorance, it is not righteousness. It spreads. What can you do? It spreads. Okay. It spreads. Now, how you respond to COVID will differ. If you are a sinner, you will think, Lord, judgment has come upon me. Okay. If you are righteous, you will see even in through, through this, I will sing my way through. I will praise my way through. And if you're ignorant, okay, you will try all kinds of medications, which doesn't help COVID at all. And you get, you get actually more sickness from the medicines. Okay. Like you look at people, people have died of COVID. People have died of the vaccine too. Okay. They don't want to release the number of those who died by the vaccine because it doesn't, doesn't fit in with the narrative. Okay. Narrative. So. So there is something which call which is normal. Okay, so you don't you don't have to. You know, I mean, it's common. It's common. There's no escaping of it because every one of us breathes the same air. It is polluted. We all buy rice or whatever from the same shops. It is polluted. Everything is polluted. Of course, we have promises for that, but you have to live by that. But we are not exempt from this. Both the righteous and the wicked. See, if God's rain falls upon the both the righteous and the wicked, sometimes the acid rain also falls upon both. Okay, in some portion I forgot the verse in the Bible says when the flood comes, sometimes it sweeps the righteous and the wicked away. So there is something which is called, which is normal because we are all part of what we call the common human race. Yet man is born to trouble, not the wicked man or the good man, man. Is born to trouble. So there are these four things. It can be sin, can be righteousness, can be ignorance, or what we call, which is common chance. So the thing is that we need the radiologist. We need diagnosis. In their case, the diagnosis is sin. They did evil in God's sight. Diagnosis is very clear. They did evil, that is. Because if you don't have the diagnosis, you don't have a solution. Diagnosis is there. Who did God hand them over? He handed them over to the Midianites. So each of the enemies who oppress them, we have to study because it shows how they oppress us differently. If you look at this portion, you do not hear the leader of the Midianites. The earlier one, you knew it was Sisera and Jabin. Jabin was the king. Sisera was his right-hand man. Okay, Sisera and uh, Jabin and Sisera. But in this case, you don't hear any leaders. They're just like a hordes that come. Okay, so some of the problems which we face may not have a name you can put onto it. May not have a name you can put onto it. It's still a problem, though it doesn't have a name. Okay, the solution also will come if you read from an unnamed prophet. Okay, the solution who comes and speaks to them. Okay, it's not a named prophet. It's an unnamed prophet. They don't have a named leader. You don't have them. Okay, they have no leader. And how do they come? Verses 3 to 5. 
So it was whenever Israel had sown. Okay. Midianites would come up. Also Amalekites, the people of the east, would come up against them. They would encamp against them, destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza. Leave no sustenance for Israel. Neither sheep, nor ox, nor donkey, for they would come up with their livestock, their tents, coming in as numerous as locusts, both they and the camels were without number. They would enter the land to destroy it. They come, they take everything, and they take their flocks, everything, and whatever is left, they destroy it, they finish it up and go. You you know the old westerns. There was always a fight because these common government land was grazing grounds. And the cattlemen hated the sheep, sheepmen. Constant fight with them. Because the way the cows eat and the sheep eat, the sheep will leave nothing. So the cattlemen don't like the sheep. Okay, And these uh, Midianites are like that. By the time they have finished, everything is over. They clean up the whole place. Okay, but what is the thing? The thing is that when Israel had sown, it's time, sown, it's time for harvest, the enemy comes and takes it away. I mean, so we have to look at it and say, you know, you need to understand poverty is not a blessing, it's a curse. Poverty is a curse. And God says in Haggai, you made one, but your bag had full of holes. How, where did these holes come from? Where did these holes come from? Why is it that God says it is, it's like the enemy comes and takes it away. You know, takes it away. And I have heard testimonies of so many people who will say, I went, I went abroad, I worked hard, I saved all the money, and then I get a telegram or a message saying, Daddy is not well, Mommy is not well, you come, Mommy is in the hospital. By the time Dad or Mom is out of the hospital, all my savings have gone. It's gone. You make up, save everything. And you think everything is fine, and then disaster strikes. The Midianite comes. And by the time he has finished, the land is empty again. You have to go back again, dig the land, sow the land, you know, wait for harvest. And when harvest is ready, you will say, okay, now I can relax. I think I have enough. Next thing comes. Okay, So we have to look at it that way, because we have to look at the solution, because we have to look at the reason and the solution. That's why I said when we study the enemies, enemies are different. <coughs> Sisera was oppressing them and Jabin. They had 600 iron chariots and they were ruling over them. Midianites are not. They only come during seasons. They don't come and rule over you. They are not interested in that. They are just after your harvest. <coughs> after your harvest. Okay? So we have to understand that. The enemies are not the same. <coughs> and if you look at verse 6 and 7. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Okay, <laughs> Under the others, you may not be so impoverished. They just oppress you. But they want you to prosper and they will take and leave little for you also. So they will use you. They won't leave the land. They will keep you in the land and they will make you serve them. Midianites don't do that. In this story, they don't do that. So we have to understand the difference, okay? And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. And it, when it came to pass, when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianite, the question is, why did they wait for seven years? Simply, for the same reason, we wait for seven years. Because, you know, God is not our first option. God is not our first option. God is our last option. It's not that we don't believe in God. It's not that we don't believe in the power of God. We believe in all that things. Why is that God is not our first option? The answer is 
Galatians 5, 16 to 18. I say then, <clears throat> walk in the spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit or contends against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another. So you do not do the things you wish. If you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. So we have two choices. You can be led by the spirit or you can be led by your flesh. When I'm led by my flesh, I like it because I have control. It's ultimately it's about control. Okay. Everything is about control. When you are led by the spirit, you have to follow. You don't have control. You don't have control. Okay? You don't have control. And that's our our issue. In flesh, the old man, the old nature is in control. While if you're led by the spirit, God is in control. Now, ultimately, even the flesh wants God. What does the flesh want? Bless me and leave me. Leave me alone. The flesh wants the blessings of God. Otherwise, what will the flesh do? The flesh also need resources to indulge in the flesh. And the resources belong to God. Everything belongs to God. So don't ever think the flesh does not want the spirit. It wants the spirit to bless you and leave you. Don't lead me. Don't tell me what to do. No. We don't want God to lead us. Because when we want God to lead us, we lose control. When do we cry out? We cry out only when we reach the stage when it is unbearable. There are seven years, by the time seven years, you're so impoverished, you're so, it is, oppression is so unbearable, then they cry out. Then they cry out. We call it the ICU stage. Then people will cry out. Okay. And even when people come out of ICU, sometimes they never recover well. They're still bedridden. And it's God's mercy. It's God's mercy. He keeps them there. Okay, God's mercy. He says, I do not want you to go down the same. same. Okay, So they will go through these cycles of whatever it is, imperishment or job loss or ICU cases. So these cycles. But we are talking about God's people. And we need to realize it still comes from a loving God. We need to understand <coughs> deliverance is nothing for God. We are not delivered, not that it took seven years for God to deliver them. God can deliver them in one second. He can. And I pray for people who are sick, even till last night. No? For all the people who call me, honestly, like all the people who calls me, the one who gives me the greatest choice, that child from Chennai. To hear Betsy peps you up. To think that among all the people we pray for, she's the one who's going through 13 cycles of chemo is over. But you hear her, you'll think she's in the top of the world. Even last night, uncle, uncle, only God uncle, only God uncle. If you listen to her, you will never think she is ill. But what did she call? Uncle, can I do the transcripts, uncle? I said, of course, you're more than welcome to do transcription. Okay. It's Abraham. You enjoy talking to people like that because you know they're going through a crisis, but they have come so close to God and they're full of joy. And uh, these are sicknesses for which there is no guarantee in the medical world, but God can heal. For God to deliver, it doesn't take time. That's why we have these cases. A woman of 12 years. How long did it take to heal her? One second. <coughs> a woman with 18 years bend over. 
one word. A man with 38 years. You see, look at the length of the problem and the time God takes to deliver them. You have to look at it in comparison. That's why the, the time is given. Time is given. 12 years. One second. Without even he intervening. 18 years. One word. Woman, the word unbound. Pick up your mat and walk. So it doesn't matter it is one year or 12 years or 18 years or 38 years. Deliverance for God is not a big thing at all. The problem is we will take a long time before we will really cry out from our whole heart for deliverance. If you look at Genesis 18, 14, <coughs> Jeremiah 32, 27, and Luke, is anything too hard for God? Asking a man who's 99 years old and a woman who's 90 and telling them you're going to have a child. I mean, <laughs> is anything too hard? For, I mean, think about it. Think about it. The oldest uh, person who has given birth in our times is around 70 years or something like that. Okay, so 70. This is not even 70. This is 90. The man is almost hitting 100. Is anything too hard for God? At this appointed time I will come and you shall, Sarah shall have a son. Just a word. Jeremiah 32, 27. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? And Luke 1, 37 to Mary. For with God, nothing will be impossible. And Matthew 19, 26. This is about the rich getting into heaven. But the principle is the same. Jesus looked at them and said to them, with men this is impossible. But with God all things are possible. So there are a lot of things which are impossible with men. But with God, all things are possible. So we have to look at the seven years and the deliverance God works takes very little time. Okay, So our deliverance is not delayed because it is difficult for God. Nothing is difficult for God. Nothing is impossible for God. God doesn't need a lot of time to deliver anybody. And the devil is powerful, but his power is limited. And God is all powerful. So we saw verse 7 and uh, this thing. They ultimately cry out. They cry out. <clears throat> so Israel was greatly impoverished. And they cried out to the Lord. And it came to pass. When the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites, what did God do? Verse 8. That the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel. Okay, so we have to look at God's solutions. It may not be always the same. Okay, you send a prophet to them. First he sends a prophet. Okay, we looked yesterday at the prophet. Prophetic different uses. But here is a prophetic, the actual purpose of prophetic. It gives you the word of correction. It sends them a prophet. And like I said, it's an unnamed prophet. And it is important. It's important that the unnamed, it's an unnamed prophet. Because you know what? In the world, it is all about personalities. In God's kingdom, it's always about the message. It's not the personality. It's only one personality called Christ. And it doesn't matter who speaks. The only thing is that is the spirit of Christ speaking through him. That's why we have to change the way we think when we are dealing with the kingdom of God. Because even in Christendom, there are celebrities. 
And the word of the celebrity will be always given more weight than a person who is unnamed, who may be speaking at that hour, the voice of God. Because we have this celebrity complex always. You know, it's, it's like, it's like, you know, uh, every game Sachin goes in, everybody is waiting for Sachin to score, but he gets out on a duck and somebody else wins the game. But second game, again we go, again we are looking for Sachin. Because he has become a celebrity. That's why once, once in a while these big celebrities like Nadal and Federer and all lose. When somebody unknown just beats them. So it's a fluke. We refuse to accept the fluke. No, he's not. I'm still looking for Nadal. <laughs> okay. We don't. Okay. The problem is we see all these things. All these things. And we bring into Christendom. And we look for celebrity to speak into our lives. And God sends an unnamed prophet. Unnamed prophet. He sent a prophet to the children of Israel who said to them, and therefore when we are in trouble and we cry out to the Lord, be careful to listen to unknown people. He may speak through you a voice you did not know. It may be casually you are reading something or you are reading something on the internet or just on YouTube you see a message. You don't know who this person is. never heard him before. I'm telling you, I've heard some of the most fantastic, powerful, godly messages from people I never knew in life. Old time was dead and gone. I didn't even know these people existed. And then you listen to them. Their word is still like living, powerful. Okay. And that's what God does. So we have to be very, very careful. And what did he say to them? <clears throat> Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt, brought you out of the house of bondage. I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, out of the hand of all who oppress you, drove them out before you and gave you their land. Also, I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Okay. So the first thing God sends is he sends a prophet. He sends a word. The next thing God will do, he will pick a man. Okay. The first thing he sends the word. He says, basically what is he saying in 8, 9, and I told you so. That's the last thing we want to hear. <laughs> Even with my dear wife. <laughs> okay. I told her, what did the doctor say? What did the dietitian say? Didn't I tell you all these things? Don't eat that. Don't drink that. Don't drink that. Yes, honey. <laughs> I told you so, okay. I still remember old senior pastor saying that. How many times it was at the edge of a tongue. Now they're sitting with the crisis, everything breaking apart. And I wanted to tell them, I told you so. But then they swallow it and say, so please still tell them, we'll help you through this. <laughs> okay. So the prophet is coming over there. What is he basically saying? <coughs> I told you so. I told you so. Okay. He's totally showing them the history. You were in bondage. Okay, Egypt. You were in bondage. The most powerful nation compared to Amalekites and Midianites and Canaanites. These nations are nothing compared to Egypt. I delivered you from the hand of Pharaoh. So you know I can deliver you. It doesn't matter who your oppressor is. I know you know that I can deliver you with nothing. There you did not even fight. 
You had no weapons. You were slaves. You owed nothing. I just delivered you like that. Then I brought you to this land. This land was already inhabited by seven nations. I drove them all out and gave the land to you. Delivered. Okay. And he's telling them something in verse 10. Also, I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites. Do not fear them. Don't worry about their gods. I am your God. He's still telling us something, you know. I am still your God. (laughs) You are impoverished. You are under oppression. That hasn't changed the fact that I am still your God. I am still your God. Okay. Do not fear. I am still your God. And he says, what was the reason? Why are you like this? It's simple one thing. You did not obey my voice. You did not obey my voice. And you know, Deuteronomy 28, verse 1 and 2 is very, very clear. There are two things that are primary in 28. That's where all the blessings and the curses are pronounced. 28. It shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments which I command you today, then. So there are two things. One, there is the voice of God. And second thing, there is the commandments of God. Otherwise, this is an old book. It was written almost 2,000 years ago, the New Covenant and the others, like 3,000, 4,000 years ago. It doesn't have any relevance. There are commandments of God, and then there is a voice of God that speaks. And he says, you did not obey my voice. That's why I said, this is not a dead book, this is a living book, where a living God comes and speaks to us. He speaks to us. And we, we ignore this book, and we ignore this voice, at our own peril. And that's what he's saying. You did not obey the voice of your God. You did not obey your voice. So God sends an unnamed prophet and still speaks the same thing. Same thing. I think it is. Uh, U.S. has produced only really two philosophers. One was called Thoreau. The other was called Emerson. Emerson says, one of his essays, I can't remember. I'm trying to go back to 1988. When I last read that, where he says, you know, we always live in the shadow of great men. Meaning, you may have a thought, but because it came from you, you will not give it much credence. Next day, you, one month later, you see published an article in a great newspaper of a philosopher, and you look at the thought, I thought that thought, but I didn't give it any value because it came from me. And this man is a big man, it is published, but the thoughts are the same. Thoughts are the same. So you will see this is the same thing that happens both with the prophet who is sent and the man he will pick. The prophet is unnamed. It doesn't matter who he is, what he is. The question is, what is he thinking? What is he saying? What is he saying? What is he thinking? That is what is important. Is it the word of God? Is it true? Then it doesn't matter who the vessel is. And the vessel is going to pick It's not a celebrity. Nobody would pick a person like that. Okay? So we have to be very, very careful because God will send unknown people and he will raise up unlike, unlikely leaders, persons as leaders. So we have to keep both our eyes and ears open. Because God's usually chosen people are not celebrities. Are not celebrities. Are not the kind I'm, talk, I'm talking to Christians. We have to be very, very, very careful. Okay, if you turn with me to Abraham uh, in Genesis 20, verse 7. 
Therefore, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet. He will pray for you and you shall live. Think about it. Who is he telling to? Abimelech. And what is Abraham? Just a few days earlier, Abraham told, that is not my wife who is pregnant and that's my sister. Let me ask you, if you see a man like that, would you ask him to pray over you? God calls him my prophet. And if he pray, you will live. <coughs> that is why we have to be very, very, very careful about these things. We have our judgments. Okay, We have our judgments. God has his judgments. When God is judging, he has already seen the end from the beginning. How Abraham will end. Will end. Will end. Okay. We look at Abraham at this point. And can you? Be, how many times? How many times will you deny your wife? Huh? You went into a concubine, created a boy. What kind of a fellow are you? And God says he is my prophet. And if he prays, you will live. And when he prays, your household will be healed. Okay. That's why we have to be careful. We have to get this fundamental. Truths about God and the people God uses. Listen to the message. Don't judge the messenger. Judge the message. Judge the message. Test the message. Because the message is important. Don't judge the messenger. Leave it alone. Okay. Let me come to verse 11 and 12. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abzerite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. Now it looks like, uh, are you pulling a prank or something? Are you being funny? <laughs> but God is not being funny. God is not being funny at all. It's not funny at all, okay? If you go to the statement about faith, Hebrews 11 and verse 1. We know how faith comes. We know what faith does. We know how faith pleases God. But this is faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So things, there are things not seen, meaning it has not yet become a physical reality. But it is true. It is true. Now... Oh, Apu went home. Apu is sitting here. Now, except for Raj and Apu, nobody has seen the scan. <laughs> nobody has heard the baby's heartbeat or seen the pictures. But it is true. We don't have to see. This is there. One day we'll all see. One day we'll all see the baby. Right? Okay. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. One thing we need to understand is God not God does not operate by sight. God operates by faith. For God, sight and faith is the same. Is the same. Because God has seen the end from the beginning. That's why Revelation, uh, the the books of the Bible is not record, written according to time. The books of the Bible are ahead of time. Far ahead of time. By the time John the Apostle wrote Revelation, he's writing 2,000 years 3,000 years ahead of time. 1,000 years of reign, Jesus is also over by the time we come to chapter 21, when he's writing. That is how far ahead he is. 
if we are one week ahead prophetically we take so much glamour and this thing this man is writing 3000 years ahead okay so look at it okay so god sees <coughs> so when god speaks he sees what we can be what we can be if we believe what he says and obey and follow him so faith is ultimately seeing what god says about us what did god say about him mighty man of valor so your current status does not matter god has spoken if god has spoken something then that is what is true and that is why we have to meditate even when no if people have low of self self esteem inferiority fear weakness the simple way is to look at what god has said about us let's look at a few things if a person is truly born again john 1:12 just a few things i'll just give you seven things 12 john 1:12 gospel according to john 1:12 for as many as received him to them he gave them the right to become the children of god those who believed in his name if you have believed in the lord jesus christ what do are you it doesn't matter what you look like it doesn't matter your education qualification it doesn't matter your social status you are a child of god it's as simple as that you are a child of god you cannot get a greater status than that child of god that's who you are ephesians 1:5 having predestined us to adoption you are adopted as sons by jesus christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will you know if you understand the system it's easier to have your own baby than to adopt one to have your own baby get married and have a baby to adopt to one it's a headache and the the inquiry they want to know everything about you your financial status your job and they will do a police report on you that you are not an abuser everything otherwise you will not get your child you think adoption is easy no adoption is more difficult it costs to adopt a child <laughs> get have a child freely then pay for it later <laughs> in the us and all those kids of ours who were adopted you ask them how much did they have to pay $50,000 $60,000 to the adoption agency for the entire if we have $60,000 we'll educate our child for a whole life <laughs> to get one you see we are not only god's children by faith we have been adopted into his family and you know it is true god paid a heavy price to adopt us into his family heavy price okay first corinthians 6:20 6:20 you were bought at a price therefore glorify god in your body and in your spirit which are god's he says you belong to me your body you may not like your body or you may like your body <laughs> two categories with people with their bodies either they like it or they don't like it but god says it doesn't matter it's still my body and your spirit we belong to god we say in english lock stock and barrel body soul and spirit we belong to god okay now that should make us excited philippians 3 i think it's not 2 i think it must be 12 or our citizenship is of heaven 3 and 20 not 2 23 our citizenship is in heaven so it doesn't matter whether you have a passport or a visa they are not allowed to go now covid vaccine passports are coming and you don't take a vaccine 
and you are not allowed to go anywhere. It still doesn't matter. CAA is coming. Depending upon the election result of these five states, we will know which way they will go. All Citizenship Amendment Act and all kind of things. But you know what? We are citizens of heaven. It is granted. It is granted. Romans 8.35 Nothing. <coughs> <coughs> Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ Jesus. If you are a child of God, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ Jesus. And verse 37. In all these things, God says, we are more than conquerors through him. And the seventh one, of course, which we don't like, which is the most important. Chapter 12 of Hebrews 6 and 7. Now that we are his children. Whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? Why are we disciplined? Because we are children. A privilege Gentiles don't have. You need to understand that. God doesn't discipline any Gentile. He leaves them alone. He doesn't Gentile discipline Gentiles. Like I said, he disciplined no nation except Israel. Whatever other nations went through was their own sins, their own words, their own this thing. He let them alone. You do what you want to do. I'm not intervening in this thing. But with Israel, it was a different case altogether. So you know what? <clears throat> Faith sees us as God sees us. It is important we have to see ourselves as God sees us. We are of God. We have been adopted into his family. Our citizenship is of heaven, right? We'll never be, never, ever be separated from his love. So when we go through our oppression, our bondage, our sufferings, our crisis, it cannot separate us from the love of God. Why? We have to believe because, you know, it can happen in the natural world. That's why God says, even if your mother, suckling baby, abandons you, he says, I will not. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. These are things on which we need to meditate. Because when God comes and speaks to Gideon, Gideon struggles with it. Gideon struggles with it. Like we struggle. And Gideon's questions are, fun. we're coming to that, are fundamental questions which people struggle. <coughs> okay, uh, Go back to chapter 6. The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. How did he... I mean, we are in such a depressed, oppressed situation. Enemies are all around us, taking everything that we have. You're hiding in a wine press with the little you have, trying to save it. And God comes and calls you. God is with you. And your whole question is, where is God with me? Where is God with me? Verse 13. Very important verse. Gideon said to him, Oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? The first question everybody asks is that, if God is with us, I've heard all these sermons and all these prayers, God is with you, He will never leave you, He will never forsake you, He will be with you. Then why, are, why, why is my life like this? Why has all these things happened to us? The question God asks is a fundamental question every Christian asks when they go through suffering. If God is with me, and if God is for me, then why are we going through all this? Two questions he asks. The first question is, if God is with us, why has all these things happened? 
Second question, where are all these miracles our fathers told us about? You talk about remember, 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 remember. Okay, I have remembered. But the question is, it's not happening in my life. Always I hear somebody's testimony. But it's not happening in my life. So these are fundamental questions everybody asks. And Gideon asked this question. If God is with us, why has all these things happened? And he's desperate, he's discouraged. And the problem here, now listen carefully, the problem is here is that we let our circumstances determine our theology. We see God through the lens of our circumstances. That's what is happening. He is oppressed, his people are oppressed, and he starts, his theology is affected. Circumstances change. God never changes. This is the fundamental thing Gideon has to learn. Your circumstances can change. Today may be bad, tomorrow may be good, the day after tomorrow may be worse, then it can, but circumstances can keep on changing. But you know what? One thing, God never changes. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. <clears throat> we have to get that fact first right. God never changes. In our struggles, whether you are at the pink of your health or whether you are lying in the ICU, God has not changed. He asked this question, why then has all these things happened to us? These things have happened to you not because God is not with you. These things have happened to you because God is with you. That's the answer. Why are these things happening to us? Because God is with you. That's the difference between a believer and an unbeliever. Things happen to us because God is with us, not because God is not with us. You need to understand, people's language change when their focus is on their circumstances and not on their God. Language is important. You live or die by your words. Live and die by your words. Like Ma went through something. So I told her, Ma, I'll do one thing. I'll record you. That every call that comes, I will play it back. Otherwise, this narrative will go at 100,000 times. Everybody will call. She will give a nice story of what happened. Do you know what you're happening? You're talking about the mountain and not to the mountain. You have repeated it a 100 times. Repeat it a hundred times. Now, if you are talking to the mountain, repeating a hundred times is important. Like one of the persons I pray with every night is going through a deliberate sickness for so many years. But I still keep speaking to it. Why? Because this is a mountain. Some mountains don't go in a day or a week or a month or a year. Even if CPWD has to clear a mountain, it takes months and months and earth movers coming. But one day we look and the highway is going through that. But... If you look back a year or two, there was a hill over there. It took some time. So certain mountains, it doesn't go in one speaking. You have to keep speaking to the mountain. The problem is you speak once, we speak twice, we speak three, and we give up. No, my mountain is not moving. God does not Like I ask these rhetorical questions uh, in villages. You have this big tree and you have a pen knife. Can you cut it? They say no. I say it is possible if you don't give up. One chip at a time. Keep at it. Keep at it. Keep at it. Sharpen it. Keep at it. Keep at it. One day the tree will fall. The problem is, oh, you look at the knife, you look at the tree. Ah, it's not possible. 
We speak two times to the mountain, three times to the mountain and says, my mountain won't move. God says, no, it will move. It will move. That's why language is important. If God is for us, why are all these things happening? These things are happening because God is for you. It is God for you too. Be careful about language. That's why the new covenant language is completely different. You look at the apostles going through their sufferings and this thing. You don't hear this language from any of their mouths. You know, their language is always a language of triumph because they are speaking God's language because they have seen the end from the beginning because God has already spoken over us. You're more than conquerors. Like if I'm more than a conqueror, then let me act and live like one. I'm not going to be depressed. I'm not going to walk in discouragement. I'm going to speak. <clears throat> okay? So get our theology right. Like I said, he let other nations go, get away, but not Israel. He will let other people get away, not his children. So get our theology right. <coughs> Sometimes things, both good and bad, happen to us. Precisely because God is with us. Okay, second question. Where are all the wonders? Miracles we heard about. Where are all his wonders? Miracles which we, our fathers told us about. Saying, did not the Lord bring us up from? That means... What the prophet came and spoke, Gideon heard. Gideon heard. Okay. God is not going to, first he sends the word. Then he looks for a man. But he doesn't look for a man who did not listen to the word. Lord of people are still waiting for the call of God, never listening to the word. First he sent an unnamed prophet. Then he went to a man who heard what the unnamed, and he's been thinking, meditating about it. Because the questions are connected with what the prophet said. So, there's a second question. Where are all the miracles? So, where are all the wonders we heard about? And it is natural, okay? You see, when Jesus went, all the crowds all followed him because of his miracles. The others who did not need a miracle wanted to see a miracle and ask for a miracle. We get excited about a miracle. Let us say healing. We get excited about healing. Natural. We fall ill, we are healed, and we get excited about a healing. The problem is here. This is the problem. Healing is the aberration. Health is the norm. And the problem is people are not excited about health. Let us say there are ten people sitting here. Okay, Nine are well. One is ill. The ill gets healed. Everybody is excited. But nobody gets excited about the nine who are well. Righteousness is the norm. Liberty is the norm, not deliverance. We get excited by deliverance. We are not excited by the freedom in which others walk. This is our major issue. Like in marriages, people will say this word. Oh, okay, this is the honeymoon period. After that, reality. Who told you? Who told you? If that is the truth, then why did God tell the efficient church, go back to your first love? That is honeymoon. He says honeymoon is the reality, not the other one. The reality of the marriage is the honeymoon. But we have gone the way of the world and said honeymoon is an aberration. After that, reality will strike. But God comes to the church in Ephesus and says, you know what, you have gone wrong. Honeymoon is the reality. Go back to your honeymoon. We also give counsel. If you live like that, you will have a nervous breakdown. God says, who told you? Who told you? This is our issues. Our issue is that we don't see health in this case of healing. 
health as the norm has the wonder health as the wonder we look at healing as the wonder look at proverbs we know that chapter 4 verse 20 to 22 my son give attention to my words incline your ear to my sayings for they are life to those who find them health to all their flesh this is the norm this is the wonder that is what god picked up israel gave them the law and says you look by that you will be a sign and a wonder to all the everything about you will be a sign and a wonder how can people be like this even your sabbath will be a wonder everybody works seven days you are resting on the seventh day how can you rest your harvest is ready but we are resting why god told us and the seventh year don't even plan anything how can you live like that because the sixth year i will give you double Seventh year, what I do? Everybody is built a hammock and lying in the hammock. Why God told us rest? You are a sign and a wonder. Now that was supposed to be the norm. That was supposed to be the norm. This is our issue. We look at miracles, and we are always looking at miracles without realizing our lives are actually miracles. Right? Let me honestly ask this question: Do we really get paid? for what we work no we get more than what we <laughs> what we work for god is taking very good care of all of us <laughs> honestly i look into the church and i say you know what god is taking very good care. i asked i told somebody i said you look at me you all are living in two bedroom three bedroom house everybody has got a car which you can't afford nobody has gone hungry somewhere other almost everybody's everything is being taken care of and we don't see it as a miracle hmm? let us be honest <coughs> everybody in our church probably has come through covid nobody is panting for breath nobody went into the icu nobody went through anything if i am right <laughs> even the pregnant mothers had it no issues for the mother or the baby everybody came through what is the whole panic in the world about about covid they going rabid about covid but the fact of our church is that everybody went through it mr elisa called and she was crying papu papu pastor shravan said what are you crying for he's such a strong young man <laughs> here everybody has come through by the end she was laughing said, you don't have to worry about he will come through He easily come through, no issues at all. He will come through. You don't worry about it. Don't go along with the panic. Take the precautions and everything and all. But we don't realize our lives. The norm is the miracle. The norm is the miracle. Look at all the children sitting over here. As far as right, all of them came through it. All of them had it. They all came through it without even a sniffle. All came through. that's the miracle okay and our issue is that we ask these questions like gideon we are uh, jesus finally got irritated and said i will not give you any more sign one sign i will give you what is that the sign of jonah now we are people who received that sign therefore we don't need any other sign because everything is connected to that sign he came he died he was buried he raised up on the third day seated on the right hand side of the father so everything is well with my soul There's nothing anybody can do to me even death is victory we don't need another sign and our lives have to reflect that we don't need another sign 
because all fears ultimately is connected with death. Death has been taken care of. And we will not worry about death unless our hearts are attached to this world. That's our problem. The problem is, Gideon is allowing his situation to alter his view of who God is. That is why God never changes. That is why that important verse of Hebrews 11, 6, where we all tumble. We know it by heart, but we stumble over it. What is that? (coughs) Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. He is. He is not he was. Not he will be. He is. He never changes. Never, 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 never change. You are a child of God. You can go to him anytime. It doesn't matter what you have done. It's irrelevant. See, I tell and people get mad at me. I will say sin is not the same before and after the cross. It is not the same. The sin you may do may be the same. But the response is not the same. Because it's been paid for. It is been paid for. The people on this side of the covenant and that side of the covenant is different. This side of the covenant, you know what? It has been paid for. So we don't take take it for granted. But the thing is, it is different. It's completely different. Completely different. And we are children of God. That's why Jesus was talking the story of the prodigal son and all. You, th- you listen to the testimony of the elder son and tell me, you no, know, we don't have to go there, Luke 15. What is that the younger son hasn't done? He's not even married. He's done everything. And the father welcomes him. The son is a son. He's not a Gentile. He says, my son was dead. But he was still a dead son. What a dead pagan. This, this is a miracle. This is the wonder. So, it can be 14 years of oppression, 7 years of oppression, 10 years of oppression, but when they cry out, God still comes back. Why? Because you are my child. You are my child. Israel is my child. Okay? This is where our courage comes from. This is where our strength comes from. Because you know what? God never changes. Gideon's, our, our, what we say, our, <coughs> Theology should not be affected by our circumstances. Our circumstances may keep on changing. But you know what? God is. And you look through the book of Acts, especially the experiences of Paul. It is interesting. One day you are being lifted. Oh, these are gods. Next day you are thrown into prison. Okay? One day everybody comes to exclude and next day you are beaten up and thrown. But you know what? He remains constant through his circumstances. You know why? Because his theology never changed. God is the same. One day people will lift you up. Next day they will throw you down. You know, my circumstances does not determine who God is. God is always the same. He is righteous. He is holy. And he is loving. He will never leave me. He will never forsake me. He doesn't stand by me when I am felicitated and he does not abandon me when I am thrown into prison. He's always with me. He's always with me. And we struggle with that. Like Gideon, we struggle with that, that he is always with me. Okay? So Gideon goes into that, that error. And go to, the, again, the third error Gideon gets into. That same verse. That's, that's why I said it's a very, very important verse. Okay? Yeah, come to verse 13. And Gideon said, first thing, 
If God is with us, why has all these things happened? Second, where are all these miracles? And the third thing, but now God has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Sorry, Gideon, your theology is again wrong. God has handed you into the hands of the Midianites, but he never forsakes his people. Sometimes children feel like that when parents drop them at school. My father has forsaken and delivered me into the hands of these tutors with canes. No, he didn't forsake you. He delivered you into their hands. Evening, he will come to pick you. With all the marks. Not the marks in the paper on your skin. But we feel like that. But it is not true. One part of his theology is right. God has delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Right. But he has not forsaken you. If he has forsaken you, then there is no point in praying. There's no point in crying. You're forsaken. You're forsaken. Okay? You're forsaken. You're forsaken. You're not forsaken. Okay? Even Jesus went through that in the flesh. He cried on the cross, My Father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was only partially true. His Father forsook him for a period. But he did not forsake him eternally. And he has the psalm. To go back to Psalm 16, he says, you will not. And therefore, he knows. You know, it is one side. At one level, Father, you have forsaken me for the sake of the world. Sin is upon me. On the other side, I know you will never forsake me. So therefore, I commit my spirit into thy hands. And he died. If you really believe God has forsaken him, how do you commit something into the hands of somebody who has forsaken you? So there are two realities over there. God will deliver us. He delivered him over into the hands of death. But God never forsook him. Never forsook him. And this is where he goes wrong. Sometimes we feel like that. God has forsaken me. And that's the theology. God may deliver us. God may deliver us. But he does not forsake us. And Paul will see about the man in Corinthian. Hand him over to Satan. So what has happened? He has been delivered. But he's not forsaken. So that his soul may be saved. Soul may be saved. He can for deliver us. Without ever forsaking us. These are fundamentals to faith. You know what happens? It keeps us steady. It keeps us steady. Our eyes, our heart on Christ. So we have to get these three fundamentals right from that question. If God is for us, why has these things happened? Many of the things that happen to us, even the bad things that happen to us, is because God is for us. Why has Joseph sold by his brothers? Because God was for him. Why was he thrown into prison? Because God was for him. Why did he go through the 13 years of intense suffering? Not because God was not for him, but because God was for him. Why did Job go through everything that he went through? Because God was for him. So you can have the suffering of the righteous because God is for you. You can have the sufferings of the sinner because God is for you. The simple question is, what do you want? To be a sinner and allow to get away with your sin. You are a child of God. You are a sinner. And God allows you to go. Do you want to be Saul or do you want to be David? Saul, God allowed him to go. And he ended up in hell. David, he chastised him nicely. And restored him back. Both were sinners. One he let go. One he refused to let go. So you have to look at these fundamental principles. Right? And if you go to verse 14, <coughs> solution, and then we will pray. 14 and 16 are the solution. Then God turned to him and said, go in this might of yours. You shall save Israel from the hand of Midianites. Have I not sent you? And verse 16, 15 is his response. And the Lord said to him, surely I'll be with you. You shall defeat the Midianites as 
one man. Okay, solution one, go to verse 15. Sorry, verse 14, verse 14. <coughs> go in the strength or this might of yours. What is God telling? What he always told everybody in the Bible. What you have is enough. What is have you enough? Okay, from Moses onwards, every deliverer. What you have is enough. And as you go, it will increase. But to start off, this is enough. We call it startup also these days. And people do not realize every believer has what is in them to start their startups. What faith do you have? What do you have? What did Gideon have? He was sitting in a wine press, saving his little harvest. He said, you got little faith. That is enough. That is great strength. That is enough. Our issue is that we are always looking for something in addition to what we have. We look at what we have and we think it is not possible. But God has given every believer a measure of faith and that's enough. That's enough. The faith that subdues kingdoms. It's faith that shuts the mouth of lions. It's faith that they got their dead back to the living. The women got their dead back. It is faith. The whole Hebrews talks about faith. And God has given everybody. And God says that is, you know, the first thing he says, go in this might of yours, meaning what you already have. A lot of people don't move because they do not use what they already have. The faith God has given them, they don't use it. They're still waiting for, still waiting for something to happen. You know, when I have enough, then I will step out. God says, you already have enough. Already enough. Second thing over there, have I not sent you? It's important when you step out into things which God wants you to do. Don't worry about the children. Let them sit there. Okay, sit, okay. God has to send us. Like we say, you know, there are some people who were sent and some people who just went. And when you are just went, you will always struggle. He's telling him, one, the faith you have is enough. Second, know this, I have sent you. And the verse, chapter, verse 16 will say, I will be with you. I will be with you. And then he tells him something, you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. You should have listened to that carefully. Because ultimately he will have 300 who will stand with him as one man. One man. Okay. So the first thing God says, what you have is enough. Second, I am sending you. Third, you will defeat the Midianites in your unity. In your unity. If you turn to Exodus chapter 4, verse 12 and verse 17. Therefore go. I will be with your mouth. Teach you what you shall say. Saying the same thing to Moses. Moses, I can't, I can't speak, blah, 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 all the things. That's okay. He also looks at his weakness. Gideon also looks at his weakness. And Moses, he says, what you have is enough. I'm sending you. I'll be with you. And verse 17, take that, by the way, take that stick also along with you. Take this rod in your hand with which you shall do these signs. No. Gideon is not even given a rod. Go with you. The thing is that these are fundamental principles of faith and we need to look at us and see what is that I have that God has given me? What is that I know that God has given me? It's as simple. Through the Bible, this picture goes. God primarily picks up weak people. Primarily he picks. It is a qualification in the kingdom of God if you are weak. If you are strong, it is you are actually disqualified. Because you will struggle to obey God. Struggle to obey God because you will try to lean on to your strengths. 
you'll become overconfident because you'll be confident in your strength. So everybody God has called in the Bible, almost everybody. Okay. If somebody was strong, he was the biggest failure in Israel's history. You know the strongest one was Samson. His dependence upon God was nil because he was very strong. He was anointed like no man. So that's what we have to look at. So we have to look at, am I weak? Am I weak? You know what? I am not disqualified. I am actually qualified because the weaker I am, the more I will lean on to God. So what do you have? I am sending you. I will be with you. In verse 15, going back, we just missed one verse and we will stop. Verse 15. He will say. So he said to him, oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. I am the least in my father's house. These are images we have. Which is true. I mean, does God need any information about you and me? <laughs> you mean, oh, I'm sorry, I did not know that. <laughs> oh, oh, you are uh, Telugu medium. I'm sorry, I wanted English medium people to serve me. I'm sorry. God says, I know it all. <laughs> I know you. I know things about you you don't know. I know your entire history. And I didn't make any mistake when I called you. You know, This is our issue. Our issue is that we look at our weaknesses and without realizing that is primarily the reason why God called us. And Paul is the one who understands when I am weak, then I am strong. Because in my weakness... His strength is perfected. God very, very rarely calls strong men. He takes weak men and makes them strong. But when you become strong, always remain weak before God. Otherwise, your strength will destroy you. So this morning, I think we'll stop there because that is before the next step takes place. You know, Gideon is a simple picture of, you know who he is? He's a farmer. <laughs> Just a farmer who's just trying to save his harvest, hiding in a wine press. And God sees when everybody has left their harvest and gone into the mountains hidden, one fellow is hiding and trying to save his harvest. He's got little, little faith. Teeny weeny, what we call Jesus called mustard seed faith. And God says, That's enough. And Jesus says the same thing if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, we can move your mountain. And Gideon has it. That's all God looks. And looking at that faith, God says, you know what? You are a mighty warrior. You are a man of valor. And remember what the prophet said. I told you, do not fear the gods of the Amorites. That's one thing we have to. Like I said, we don't see gods today. But we see gods have translated as ideas. Ideas. You know, honestly, This idea, the most powerful idea, among these ideas, this idea supersedes every idea. It will overcome every idea. It will overcome every ideology. But our issue is that we feel what we, we have a complex. <laughs> Honestly, we have a complex. You see people walking within the railways and on the airports and it is, you know, people are all very carrying books and big tomes and all this thing, no? But Christians are very, very ashamed to carry their Bible. 
Yet, look at all the books they carry and all the authors they quote. And they all want to be in This latest I have read, this latest. So this is the latest. This book has gone into future. When it was written, it has gone 3,000 years into future. Yet we do not put value on this idea. That's our issue. This is our issue. We fear other gods. We fear the gods of humanism and socialism and communism and feminism and, uh, no. We are always, we, we are actually afraid of the cancel culture. We think we will be cancelled if we carry this. We will be cancelled. And God says, you know what? You have to start thinking different. Don't think like Gideon. Don't think like Gideon. Don't think like Gideon. And we have to protect our children like that. We have to protect them. Meaning, how do you protect them? Protect in their minds. We have to lift up the word of God in their minds. And actually says, you know what? And make it in the way they understand. You know what? Kingdom of God will overrule every other kingdom ultimately. This idea will overrule every idea. That's what we're talking about, fathers, when you walk with your children. What is talking about? The, the, the kingdom of God in terms of ideology also is an ideology. At the end of the day, whatever you go through, that ideology will overcome everything. Therefore, why do you want to test all these other stupid things? Why don't you go to the winning one directly and stand on it? Stand on it. You know. Otherwise, what will happen? If we are not strong in what we believe, we will allow our circumstances to determine our theology. And God will keep on changing. That is Naomi. That is Naomi. That is Job's wife. These are all people who had wrong theology because their circumstances determined how they saw God. God never changes. And this morning, before we, as we pray, that's the fundamental truth we are standing on. What is that? God never changes. And second, be careful about your language. Because when you are depressed, you speak the language of the depressed. And that is Gideon. That is Gideon. So we learn from these old covenant characters. and We learn from the new covenant apostles. You will see the language is different. There's no language of despondency. And yet, the new covenant saints go through what old covenant saints never went through. Okay? Old covenant saints went through oppression or the old covenant people went through because of their sins. The new covenant saints went because of their righteousness. <laughs> now, you think about it. Which should, who should be more depressed? The new covenant saints. Because I did not sin. I only did right and I'm in prison. But all you see them is rejoicing. There's no language of discouragement over there. You know? The old covenant man, if he's discouraged, you can still say, okay, you sinned, you sowed, you reaped. But this fellow is saying something else. I sowed in righteousness and I'm reaping a harvest of suffering. But he's rejoicing because he sees the end. This is not how it is going to be. How is it going to be? You know? So we have to watch what we say because it matters. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. We have, we have to. Fear is contagious. More contagious than COVID. Faith does not, is not contagious. You have to work at your faith. Fear is contagious. Faith is, cannot be passed on. It cannot be passed on. That's why it is different. It's like lies and truth. Lie will go twice around the earth before truth has put his shoes on. And faith is not contagious. Fear is 
Fear is. Faith, you have to work at your faith. You have to stand steadfast, you have to become. If faith was contagious as fear, boy, the church would be so strong. It doesn't work like that. Faith in the same way, righteousness is not contagious. You have to work at it. Holiness is not contagious. You have to work at it. Unholiness is contagious. It's like the mob. Hundred people going nicely, all going to uniform, everything. One fellow throws a stone, second fellow, before you know the whole mob is throwing stone. How did he become like that? Okay. On the other hand, ninety-nine are crooks, one fellow is walking righteous, the ninety-nine will remain crooks. This righteousness is never imparted. It's true. It is true. That is where we need to realize it doesn't work like the way we think. But because we it is know it is true, we hang in there, we stand steadfast over there, we resist the enemy steadfast in faith. Amen? Let's pray. Father, this morning we just come to you. We just want to thank you. We just want to praise you. We just want to worship you, Lord. We just want to thank you for the healing that you have already given in the body of Christ. Thank you for touching Elsa. Thank you for healing her. We know, Lord, you worked a miracle. The enemy meant evil, but God turned it around for good. She's come through, and she'll come through stronger than before, Lord. Through this COVID, it's not going to pull us down, Lord. We will come through this. You said you will go through the waters, you will not be drowned. You will go through the fires, you will not be burned, because you are with us. That's the truth. More than an old covenant truth, it is true for us. You are God with us, and you are God in us. Even if we were to run away, we cannot run away because when we run away, we run away with you because you are in us. There is no escaping you. So I pray, Lord, the new covenant saints who are hearing will know God is not just with us in the new covenant. God is in us. He is in us now and forever. He is in us. So we are not discouraged. We are not despondent. By our circumstances. Our theology doesn't change with our circumstances. God is on the throne. Jesus is on the right hand side of the Father. Forever making intercession for the saints. And it is well with our souls. We have seen the end from the beginning. The kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. There will be an end to oppression. There will be an end to everything that the enemy and the wicked ones are doing, the day is closed. It will all end and there will be a reign of righteousness forever and ever, Lord. That's why we rejoice, Father. Because faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. Therefore, we can sing, we can rejoice, we can glorify you, we can praise you, we can honor you, Lord, through it all, Father. Chains don't matter, prison walls don't last. Everything will fall apart for the kingdom is coming closer and closer. So once again, I just want to thank you for everyone. You have healed and you are healing, Father. I pray for the team in uh, the Middle East, many of them who have COVID. Oh, Father, uh, in Australia, Lynn and the others, oh, Father, I speak healing into their bodies. Father, Kripa is not well. I pray you touch the little one of oh, Father. Shravan, Lord, I pray for him that you touch him. He's there in in Delhi, but he's not alone. You are with him. Father, we rebuke the spirit of this pandemic, the spirit of infirmity, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And we speak healing in the bodies of your children, Lord. Everywhere, Lord. All who are listening, let them pick up their mats and their walk. Let your healing virtue flow into their body.
body, so master. Destroying every germ, every disease, everything of the enemy. Be destroyed in the name of Jesus, the Lord. And we will walk with you. And we will live for you. And you have called over all of us what you told Gideon. You have told even more to us. He was called a mighty man of valor. We are called more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. That's what we are, O oh Lord. And I pray your people, our language will change. We'll speak the language of faith. Our demeanor will change. We'll walk as conquerors. And we have, because you have conquered it all on the cross. When you said it is finished, it was finished. We are walking and living in the finished work of Christ Jesus, Lord. So I bless your people in your name, Lord, everywhere. Everywhere, Lord. All I pray is for those who do not know you. That's a dangerous part, Lord. The unsaved loved ones. I pray, Lord, that you would touch their eyes, touch their hearts. Oh, Father, touch them. Touch them, touch them, touch them, Lord. It is not the affliction in the body that is dangerous. It is the soul that is blind to the goodness of God and the salvation of God. He said, do not worry about the powers who can kill your body and after that nothing. Fear him who can kill your body and then throw your soul into eternal darkness, O Lord. And that's what we pray for, O God. Salvation of souls, O Lord. Touch, O Lord, touch. During this season, Lord, I pray there would be a harvest of souls, O Lord. Scales would drop. The veil would fall away. They would see the glory of Christ. They would hear the gospel. For the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, Father. We bind the power of blindness, mind-blinding spirits in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I pray eyes will be open to see the glory of God and the coming glory, the glory of the coming kingdom of God. Before that, this world pales into nothing, God. It is nothing. It's a dead man's bones, O oh Lord, this world, O oh Father. Oh, the glory of the coming kingdom, Lord. Touch our eyes. Open our eyes that we may see, Father. And walk in that resurrection power of Christ Jesus. Fearless. Fearless. For you have not given us the spirit of fear. And I come against that spirit of fear in the body of Christ. Whatever that fear is about, it has no place in us. I bind that spirit of fear in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I command that spirit to leave the body of Christ in the name of Jesus. For you have given us the spirit of love and a sound mind, O Lord. Oh, Father, I, we receive that spirit. We manifest that spirit. We speak that spirit, Lord. Fearless. That's what your children are, Lord. Fearless. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Commit everyone here and listening into the hands. Pray the hand of God would be there upon them, that you would bless them, would empower them, and you would keep them. And I commit our little children here, Lord. Oh, Father, that you would bless all our children. And all our children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be their peace. We will not judge them by what we see them doing. We will judge them by what you have spoken to us about them. And all our children are mighty warriors. They will speak to their enemies at their gates. They are all being prepared to be arrows in the cure of the mighty man of God, O oh God. That is you yourself, Lord Jesus, Jehovah Shabbat. That, that are our children, polished shafts, Lord. Oh, one day you will release them and they will do great exploits for you, Lord. 
Help us to see that by faith and speak that by faith and it will come to pass because you have already spoken over our children, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you. We commit the rest of the day into thy hands. Yes, summer is here, but the sun shall not smite us by day. We stand under that promise too. You said you will escape the corruption in the world through these exceedingly precious promises. For every situation we have, we go through. I pray, Spirit of God, you will guide your people to a promise which they can stand on because every promise is yes and amen in Christ Jesus, O Lord. And we will stand on the promises of God and the promises of God will come to pass in our lives, O Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Every end has been covered, O Lord, in our lives. We have promises to stand on, O Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you. We praise you. We worship you. We glorify you, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray.